Well, Psalm 4, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the holy word of God written for you and for me today. To the chief musician with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood, Selah? But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Amen. Amen, and may God bless the reading of his word to us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, as we've considered a good portion of King David and his distress as he fled from his son Absalom, we come now to Psalm 4 and we find David in the same place at roughly the same time. And though the Lord doesn't reveal the context of Psalm 4 specifically to us in the opening instruction like he does in Psalm 3, many scholars note the similarity. Some also point out that David could have written this psalm in the midst of persecution from Saul. However, more important than the occasion is the glorious truth and comfort that we find in this psalm that are designed by God to enlighten our minds about Him, to increase our devotion to Him, and to strengthen our walk with Him. To enlighten our minds about Him to increase our devotion to Him, and to strengthen our walk with Him. And what similarities do we find between Psalm 3 and 4? Well, they were both written from a heart and in a time of distress. They both show David's deep confidence in God as well, even in the midst of that distress, don't they? They both show depth in David's faith, and his faith even in the night. Both Psalms press the reality of the great need for prayer, the great safety that God's people have in our Lord, as well as the presence of God's listening ear and caring hand towards us when we pray. In Psalm 4, we find David providing good doctrine and practical guidance, along with his issuing the call of wisdom for the sons of men to receive instruction. And we'll consider this specifically more in verse 3. But as we begin this psalm tonight, let us consider it under three headings. First, David's plea to the God of his righteousness in verse 1. The lovers of worthlessness and lies in verse 2. And the truth that the godly are set apart for God in verse 3. So look at verse 1a. As David pleads and he calls out to God. He says, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. King David once again, notice, opens this psalm in prayer. Hear me when I call. This is the great desire of the longing and troubled heart, isn't it? O God, I need you. I need you and I need you to hear me. Please hear me. Please, Lord, don't have closed ears 
to me. Please, Lord, be attentive to my call. These same words also come from the heart that may be distressed, but is bold and confident in his call, knowing the one that he calls out to. For indeed, God was to David and is to us. He is our covenant Lord. He is, as David said, the God of our righteousness. For many of us, we can easily relate to David from the standpoint of approaching God as troubled and weak sinners, can't we? And yet, as Christ calls us to come to Him in His throne of grace with boldness, how can we have such boldness in approaching and calling out to the living God? Well, beloved, we can have boldness, not arrogance, keep in mind, but we can have boldness as we stand under the authority of God's Word and as we stand upon His promises, as we then obediently come to Him with the heart and in the manner in which He calls us to, and He does call us to do so in Christ. And so David knew his God. He knew his God was his covenant Lord. He came and called out to God in relation with him, knowing that God was his righteousness. God was the defender of his cause. Consider Jeremiah chapter 23, the first six verses. A very helpful and important passage of Scripture in regards to this very truth of him being the God of our righteousness. The Lord says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all of the countries where I've driven them and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. And notice verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Do you hear that? The Lord our righteousness. What a blessed thing it was for David to know and to proclaim God as his righteousness. For David had no righteousness of his own, and neither do we. Remember Isaiah 64, verses 6 and 7 that teach us this very thing. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags, We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name or stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us 
and have consumed us because of our iniquities. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. Beloved, we are unfit to be in God's presence. And yet, what is true? The Lord is our righteousness in Christ's name. Jesus wonderfully is the righteous one. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. And further, righteous rule is the mark of the, of the Messiah's reign. And as this is true of Jesus, as we gained Christ and are found in Him, Paul teaches us that we don't have our own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. My friends, Jesus fulfilled the law and accomplished His mission for our redemption. Paul also taught Corinth that God, quote, made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, and why? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And that's from 2 Corinthians 5.21. Beloved, when one calls upon the Lord Jesus in true faith and, and believes in Him, the benefit of Christ's atoning work for their sin, the benefit of His active and passive obedience, His righteousness for them is imputed to their account. When God the Father then looks at them, when God the Father looks at you and me who are in Christ, He sees the blood and righteousness of His Son. Praise the Lord. The Lord is our righteousness. David took great joy in the promises of God and the person and work of the Messiah. And he goes on to thank God for His relief. Look at the second half of verse 1. You have relieved me in my distress. David was in great distress and he called out to the Lord. He asked for relief and the Lord answered his prayer. It was his will to relieve him. David recognized that. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Now, I want you to see the flow and the content of David's prayer here. And this should really influence our prayers too. First, David called upon the Lord, recognizing Him for who He is. And secondly, David then also verbalized what God had done. God literally enlarged David's heart with comfort and joy, which strengthened his faith. Remember that God often brings relief to the distressed in their distress. And thirdly, God calls upon God, David calls upon God again, pleading His mercy and grace. Beloved, we all desperately need the mercy of God, don't we? We all should praise Him for His not treating us as we deserve. David called out to Him and said, have mercy on me. David desired that the Lord would not treat him as he deserved. We should praise Him that He does not, but rather in Christ, hearing us, He indeed gives us what we don't deserve. David turns then to speak and reason with sinners in verse 2. 
Verse 2a, how long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory into shame? Remember, David was being hotly pursued by wicked men, including his son. And who were the sons of men that he spoke to? These were the princes and the rulers who were with Saul and Absalom and against David and his God and his God-appointed reign. And indeed, they were against his obedience to the Lord. And David's first question really is, how long will you be against me? If you recall, David proclaimed in Psalm 3, verse 3, that the Lord was his glory. But indeed, how long would such wicked men be against the Lord and his anointed? How long would they mock David for his faith? Again, David points us to Christ here and really illustrates the union between Jesus and his people. For Christ was despised and rejected by men, and so was David, and so are we. Jesus had his cross to bear, and so do we. And just as our head endured cruel mocking, so has and does and will his church. Who in the scriptures are those who change the glory of God into shame? Scripture teaches us that they're idolaters. Romans chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul says that they, professing to be wise, became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. In fact, all sinners, beloved, as they disobey the commands of God's law, despising His grace, giving their affection and service to the creature over the Creator, profaning God's holy name, ridiculing His Word, while they profess to know Him, but in works, they truly deny Him. See that in David's question is also a call for those very people to repent and turn. How long, David called to them. Stop sinning in such ways, in other words. How long are you going to do this? Repent and give glory to God. And in the second half of the verse, he also asks the question, how long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah. Again, there is that wonderful word, Selah, that calls us to pause and to think about these very words. This is a very important question. How long will you love worthlessness and seek lies? In other words, how long will you love and embrace that which is empty and vain and seek after lies? Clearly, the false gods of the nations were lies, as they didn't truly exist, It was worthless to trust in them. Again, the call was in David's question. Repent and turn from your wickedness and your idolatry unto God in faith for salvation and forgiveness. For the wicked needed to know and the godly need to be comforted by the work of the Lord. And this is what we see in verse 3. 
But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. The fight of these men truly wasn't against David, but against the Lord. For God, on the one hand, set David apart for himself to be holy unto him. And in setting him apart, the Hebrew literally communicates that God treated him excellently and specially. He called David and he chose him out of all the tribes of Israel, even out of his own family, to serve him as king. And for David, he was made by God to be of the godly by faith in the promised Messiah. He wasn't an imposter. He was chosen and made to... The Lord has sought for Himself a man after His own heart. And the Lord has commanded Him to be commander over His people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Those were His words. to Leave here tonight refreshed by the truth that if you are in Christ, He is your righteousness. There is nothing in your hands that you bring, but you cling to His cross. You cling to Christ and His finished work for you. And be comforted by this truth in your weakness, even in your time of trial. Stand upon this truth in the midst of your enemies. And therefore call upon Him to hear you and for aid in the midst of of your weaknesses, and in your suffering. But also remember that suffering indeed comes against us, and it comes against us daily as we are in Jesus. And yet we, like David, rest and proclaim the reality that God has set us apart. He has made us holy unto Himself. We are His chosen ones. We are His special treasure And these truths must make a difference in your life. How have you been changed? By the fact and the reality that you have been set apart by God. That you have been chosen by Him. That you are His special treasure. And because these things are true, and because of the Spirit's work, therefore, in us, as the children of God, to serve Him with all that is in us. Therefore, we must not be ashamed to call out to Him and to call out to Him frequently like David did, for He hears and helps you. He hears and helps you. And you may hear this and you may think, Pastor, you you talked a lot about that in, in Psalm 3 too. That's right. We hear this message. It's good repetition to be resounding in our ears and in our hearts, isn't it? Because we too often forget who the Lord is and who we are in Him. We too often forget and are lured into doubting whether He truly hears us, whether He truly cares even and especially in the times of our distress, but He does. He is our righteousness. He is our covenant Lord. He is our rock and our refuge. And He calls us to call upon Him. Praise God for His Word. Let's pray together.
Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, it is a wonderful thing to call upon you, to call upon you frequently with thanksgiving on our lips and also in our times of need, our times of distress, our times of worry and doubt and despair. O oh Lord, how glorious of a truth that it is as we know who we are. That we have nothing to bring. That we are filthy. That any of our righteousness is filthy. We are unworthy. But yet you are worthy, Lord Jesus. You are the Lord God, our righteousness, and we praise you for it. O God, work in our hearts, dispel the doubts, dispel the discouragement, and uplift us. Keep our knees bent and our mouths opened before your throne of grace. We pray this in Christ's name.